Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to look, to look into God's word. Lord, I thank you so much that you have given to us your heart and your thoughts in your word, in our hands. We can sit in the privacy of our home, being quiet, and we can just open the word. And we can know your thoughts, the almighty God, risen in splendor above all stars and creation and everything laid out like a map beneath your feet. Beyond the galaxies, beyond all of creation, beyond everything that we know and feel and touch and reach. You have given to us insight into your mind. Lord, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you that if it were not for your willingness to reveal yourself to us, we would have no clue, no idea who we are, where we came from, and the potential of what you have in store for us. I want to commit this evening to you, Lord, and our time with those who will come online with me right now, those who will join later, watch at a different time. Some might watch six months later, some might watch three years later. But for them, it will always be the right time. It will always be the right time because your word comes to us at the right time, at the time we most need it. You are God of the present. You are God who is present. You are God who is present to us. So I begin this evening, Lord, with just worship and adoration and thanksgiving. For you are a God who is worthy of our worship. Jesus is the Lamb who's worthy to take the scroll. Thank you, Father God. As people open their Bibles, as they read through the text, from the most familiar texts to the things that they are seeing for the first time, Lord, let wonderful things come out of that for them. Let wonderful things come out of that for them. It's my prayer tonight that they would see wonderful things out of your word. It is your word that gives life, your word that gives wisdom. It's you, O oh God, when you speak, that's when the powerful stuff happens. That's when lives are changed. That's when minds are changed. So I'm banking on that, Father God. I'm banking on you, your power, your presence, your word. I invite you to be amidst us, Lord, and connect us via the internet. Give us clear and consistent net while we, while we communicate, Lord. And let the word of God do its work tonight and bless the hearts of those who are listening, who have taken time out to stop, to listen, to open their Bibles, and to be in your word today. Make it worth their while, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask you, knowing the power of that name, knowing the promise of that name, in Jesus' name I ask you, amen. amen. What a joy to be uh, in the word with you. I, I have been burdened to do this for a while, not because you need more preaching, but as a church and as a servant of God, I've just felt like Sunday morning is kind of sorted, you know. People know how to handle Sunday morning. We've got the worship. We've got the message. Um, you know, we've sent announcements. We've taken care of offering. Oh, that's very important. Offering, offering. Yeah. But what about discipleship? You know, what about our, our deep walk with God? So I was just burdened to stop and, 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 and look into God's word and search the scriptures. So um, I've just been thinking about having that conversation about church. I mean, coronavirus, COVID-19, pandemic, world shutting down. We've got to stop and ask, is there a spiritual angle on this whole thing? Is there something that God has in store in mind, in heart for the church at a time like this? 
And I want to look into that and I want to ask the tough questions. Is, is there something that we need to learn? Is there something that we need to catch on to the heart of God for that? So I do hope that the bulk of our time together would just be in the word. But I also want that we engage in some sort of a, a, a thinking through, is the church being the church? Two questions. What should the church look like? And what should the church sound like in a time like this? And if God has taken away Sunday, he's taken away the peripheries and all the, you know, the events and the activities. If he's taken away all the frills of church, he wants to strip us down to what we're really about, if you know what I mean. He's, he wants to strip us down to, to getting to the brass tacks of church. What is the body of Christ? If we didn't have Sunday morning, if we shut down the doors, if the buildings were closed and the church was uh, sent underground, which is pretty much the case now, what would we be about? So you have to kind of go back to the first century church. You have to stop and ask, what are the fundamentals of what God had in mind, Jesus had in mind for the church on earth? He says, I leave you. I'm leaving you here. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit with you. And I'm, I, I'm going to come back and I want to take you to where I am. But until I come back, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to be. Go do this. I talked about this on Sunday morning. Go make disciples. As you make disciples, I'm with you. Uh, nothing can get it go against you. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Spirit. You will have power, etc., etc., etc. What should we look like? What should we sound like at a time like this? Because what you have is all of this talk about, you know, it's a it's a punishment and a pandemic. The pandemic is a is, you know it's like the plagues of, of of biblical times and proportions. Then you've got the other extreme where it's like uh, we you know in the name of Jesus we we command coronavirus to go. There are those who are who are trying to just cope with the whole situation and, 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 and become humanitarian at this time. I don't know if anything is right or wrong. All I want to do is be authentic, be real, and get down to uh, brass tacks here. The basis of our understanding, the formula, the, the place where church begins is Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And I'm going to read that again, although I'm, uh, I'm not going to be looking at that passage uh, specifically for today, but we have to launch out of that passage. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 42 to 46. This is how things worked in the first century church. And anytime we're in doubt, we go back to the first century church because those guys, with all their problems, they kind of got it right. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Prayers uh, is plural. Let's do that again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. Okay. They received food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day. This is something you need to go back and keep reading over and over again. Verse 42 to 47. You get a picture of what the first century church was all about. So, in order to do that, I wanted to go to three books of the Bible, Ephesians, Galatians, and, and Colossians. We may touch on Philippians, but Ephesians, Galatians, and Colossians. Over the next few weeks, I want to visit these three books. Not the whole book, but the first half of the book, which has a lot to do with the theology and the purpose of Paul's writing and the, the functioning of the church in terms of the, of, of the why the church, why the church. The what it looks like uh, comes in the latter part of the scriptures, in in uh, latter part of the chapters of Ephesians, latter part of the chapters in Galatians. But you always have Paul starting out by telling us, you know what, 
this is where we have gone off or this is what we need to understand or this is what we need to remember or this is what we need to know. So th that's called theology. That's called uh, learning. So we are in uh, Ephesians. And what I've done is, this is always how I work. I get I get my, my notes in double space and it gives me an opportunity to kind of scratch and connect and and, and 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 do all sorts of things that I can't do in my Bible, you know. And I would really encourage you to do that. If you could, if you could just double space and increase the font and print it out, if you can, then you could really get down to uh, breaking the words apart, making connections, and by studying the Bible along with me. All right. So today we're in Ephesians, and I also want to look at Galatians. Also want to look at Colossians. In Colossians, Paul essentially wanted to talk to the church in Colossae or the churches in Colossae because churches were in their homes. Churches were not on a street corner. Churches were not uh, in the temple or, or the synagogue. Churches were in homes. So you would consider the church in so-and-so's home, the church in so-and-so's home. And that's where we are today. That's exactly what we are. So he was speaking to the churches in the city of Colossae, the churches in the city of Galatia, churches in the city of Ephesus. With Colossians, he wanted them absolutely mature. He wanted them rooted and grounded in the deity of Christ and knowing who Christ is. So he hammers on in Colossians chapter 1, especially verse 30, he says that you may be founded every man presented mature and complete. All right. Then you've got uh, Galatians. Galatians is a little Romans. It's, it's like a mini Romans because it really explains justification. It's the second book that explains justification. Last night, we had a wonderful time with our young people talking about that on Zoom. And it explains the, the, the legalities of what uh, uh, people can return to those who have come from a Jewish background. So he talks about how the freedom of Christ is a, is a joy and it is a privilege, but it must not be. It must not be uh, taken for granted and abused and misused. So that's where it, it's very important that we understand the book of Galatians. So it has to do with justification and has to do with liberty. Ephesians has to do with the church and the love of God for the church and the, and, and the reason why the church needs to remember what God has done for it. Now, if you go to Rome, Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, you find that the problem with the Ephesian church there, when he cites the seven churches, is that they were struggling with heresies and they were overcoming heresies. So that was a good thing about the Ephesian church. That they were overcoming heresies that were coming into the church. Number two, verse four, chapter two, verse four. Unfortunately, they had lost their first love. They had lost their first love. That's the sad part of this whole thing. Um, the Ephesians, good church, nice people, nice families, wonderful worship, wonderful worship, wonderful fellowship, nice food. But they had lost their first love. That passion for Jesus was missing. That understanding of being consumed with the love of God and having a love for God was missing. <clears throat> so that's why Paul, in speaking to the Ephesian church, almost preempting that uh, thing in, in what he talks about in Revelation, 107 times the word love is used in Pauline epistles, either in agapao, which is the verb form, or agape, which is the noun form. 107 times. And out of the 107 times, 19 times it is used in Ephesians. 19 times. So even though you have the Gospels of John and you've got all the other Pauline epistles, Paul seems to really hammer through to the Ephesian church. Listen, guys, remember what you have. Remember what you have in Christ. Remember what you have in the Lord. And as he does that, he uh, uh, he reminds them. So I want to go through some of that this uh, this evening with you. And I I am not doing an in-depth study of this book. My gosh, if I was studying this book with you, I would I would spend an evening on three or four verses each. But I don't have the luxury of that. What I 
I'm more interested in doing is quickly getting a synopsis or a, kind of like a, a, a summary of the whole thing and then uh, talking about where we are as a church, are we being the church, and even praying, spending some time in prayer uh, to become the church at a time like this. All right? So the big questions is, what should it look like, the church? What should it sound like? As we think about it, Paul says to the Ephesian church, you need to be a church that loves God because of how much he has loved you. Let's begin. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So his audience is very clearly believers. His audience is very, very clearly believers. So he's, he's talking to believers. He's talking to mature, committed believers. Okay, And he says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. You note that? And that's just in the introduction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's your uh, your um, inter, uh, your introduction and your greetings uh, right in the beginning. The question I want to ask us before we begin is what do we have in Christ? Or what we have in Christ cannot and must not outshine any other love, affection, and distraction. Let's remember this question or the statement as we approach the, the book of Ephesians. What is that? What we have in Christ, in Christ, underline in Christ, your treasure in Christ, your inheritance in Christ, your rights in Christ, your promises in Christ, your, your uh, wealth in Christ, what we have in Christ cannot must not outshine any other love, any other affection, any other distraction. Why do I say this? Because if you're going to stand next to a member of the church of Ephesus, then you're going to be reminded that in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, the church in Ephesus essentially lost their first love. So we're like, oh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to lose our first love. Our first love has got to be Jesus. So the question is, what would, why would we lose our first love? What would make me lose uh, my first love? Just a few minutes before I began this, I was just praying for some of the members of my church. I was praying for people I know. And I, I know of people who have, who have just walked away from the Lord. They have lost that spark. They've lost that, that, that first love, uh, that, that, that joy that they had when they first got saved. You know what I'm talking about? They've lost that beautiful uh, uh, kind of uh, joy, that, that look on their face as someone who's just found their love. It's so sad. It is so sad. Some people had duty every Sunday. They have duty. So they can't come to church. Either medical or government or 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 technical or because they're working on Saturday night. What happens? Sooner or later, you don't hear, you don't hear, you don't hear the good things that God has done for you. What you have in Christ, you forget. And you lose love, affection and distraction. You lose it to love, affection and distraction. You forget what you have in Christ. We need to be praying for these people. We need to be praying for ourselves. And we need to be always in prayer that the love of the saints would be abounding. That the love of the saints would be abounding. And that prayer is here in chapter 1 by Paul. Verse 3. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallowed, blessed, holy, honor, glory and honor. To the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is mentioning that God the Father is the God of Jesus. Is the Father of Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ. And you'll find this phrase over and over. Repeated over and over again. I'm sorry if this is extremely familiar. But I'm not sorry if you are hearing this for the first time. Because this is the most beautiful phrase in scripture. In Christ. It's more beautiful in Hindi, where they say, Tum Prabhu mein hai, wo Prabhu mein hai, wo Prabhu mein aa gaye hai. In the English, we have the word Christian. doesn't closely resemble the picture that we have. 
the picture that we have of, of the believer of the church is being in Christ. Blessed be the Father and, fa and uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. What is the blessing we have? Every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly places is ours. Every spiritual blessing. Even as he chose us, okay? I'll repeat everything that we have in Christ in a list later, but let me just go through it. Even as he chose us, underline in him. So he chooses people who are in him and you come into him by faith. So when I put my faith in Jesus, by my faith, God puts me in Christ. And because I am now in Christ, I am chosen. I was not chosen to be put in Christ. Everybody is invited to come to Christ. But I'm chosen because I'm in Christ. And the choosing has a destiny. I'm chosen for a certain thing, not to be put on the shelf. So even as he chose us in him, before the foundations of the world, how did he know? Because he knows. Because he knows those who will come into Christ. Before the foundations of the world, that we should be, here's the destination. Here's the destination. So if I was if I was to come into Christ, which he knows I would, then for me he has chosen that I would be, underline, holy and blameless before him. So if I was to put my faith in the Lord Jesus, then God chooses, God chooses for me to be holy and blameless. God's will is for me is to be holy and blameless before him, in his sight. Okay? So... Number one, the first thing I have in Jesus, if you're taking notes, is he has chosen me in him. Why are you chosen? Because I'm in him. How you know you're in him? Because I place my faith in Jesus. Did you put yourself in Jesus? No, I just trusted Jesus. And because I trusted in Christ, God put me into Jesus. Okay, now that you are in Jesus, are you any special than anybody else? No, but I do have forgiveness of sins. I do have uh, God's attention and I do have God's will for my life. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of that we should be number one, holy and number two, blameless before him. Number two, in love, he predestined us. Are you beginning to get this, this, these words? Before the foundations of the earth. My gosh, that's a long time. Okay, that is a long time. So now you're beginning to understand that long, long ago, God set in a plan, you, who you're going to be, what your faith is going to get you, storing up stuff for you, promises for you, love for you, power for you, people for you, a name for you, if you were to come into Jesus and he knew he was going to come into Jesus, so he had it already for you. Before the foundations of the earth, God already had a plan around your name and my name. The second thing he says in verse 5, in love, in love, agape, in love, he predestined us. He set my destiny beforehand to be adopted to himself, for us to be adopted to himself. Now, that's a legal term. Adoption is a legal term. You're born, uh, you belong to a family two ways. Either you're born into a family or you're adopted into the family. When you are born into a family, it has to do more about nature and blood group and DNA and and your uh, and your features okay your nature your features your your blood group and your your form and, and oh he looks so much like his father oh he looks so much like his mother so when we are born of god we begin to take on the nature of god we show the nature of god in our lives. When we are born of God, we begin to feel uh, love for the father and the, feel the love that the father has for the child. When we are born of God, we are sensitive to the things of God and we, are, we take great pride in being part of his family and we are very secure in our... But when we are adopted, that is a legal term, right? So the second way to become part of a family is to be adopted. But when you talk about adoption, adoption has to do with rights, with rights. So when I adopt a child, when he turns 18, he becomes the rightful heir to all that I have. You get where I'm going with this? So when you are born of God, we talk nature. 
But when you are adopted by God, we talk inheritance. And you, by the way, and me, we are both born of God and adopted by God. And here he's saying, let me tell you what you have. Before the foundations of the earth, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself, underline, as sons, as sons through Jesus Christ. So he's talking about a standing. He's talking about uh, the signature on the seal is with your his inheritance being given to you. When I die, you are the nominee. You, are the, you will get whatever is mine. And Jesus died. Jesus died so that everything that is his can become yours. Jesus rose again to ensure as the advocate that everything that is his is yours. And therefore, the Bible says you are now brothers along with him in the sense that he died, giving you everything uh, that is his. And now that everything that is his is yours, he rises again to share that with you. So everything that is his is also rightfully yours. Wow. Wow. No, 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 no. That's not just going to come on like a light bulb right now. That, that takes years to, 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 to discover. You open every chest of treasure. You open every cupboard. You look into and you find wealth and wealth and wealth and wealth. And as you get deeper and deeper into Christ, you find yourself becoming so strong and, and, and rich as you realize you have been adopted into a stinking rich family. Wow. Okay. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's another phrase you're going to find him saying a lot in Ephesians. But remember, we are not studying the book. We are thinking more along the lines of... We're thinking more along the lines of... Uh, of uh, what the church is all about. So my heart is torn here, but I have to stick with this. Uh, according to the praise of his glorious grace, which he, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in the beloved, in the beloved, in Christ. In him, in him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. What do I have? Number one, he chose me in him. Number two, he predestined me for adoption. Number three, he redeemed me in his blood. What is the big thing about redemption through blood? That Christ has bought you back by his blood and he has given you by his blood the forgiveness of your sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But because with the shedding of blood, there can be the remission of sins. Hence, you have been saved. You have been forgiven. You have been bought back. How much have you been uh, saved? How much have you been bought back? How much have you been, what value has been placed on you? The riches of his grace. Underline that. The riches of his grace, according to the riches of his grace. Oh, there's so much more there. I wish I could just camp on that verse, but have to move on, have to move on. Okay, so let's talk about that grace. Let's. Uh, how did he give that grace? Here's, here's where you use a word that's very interesting. And some of our worship leaders have tried, tried to uh, play with that word. It's called lavish, lavish, his lavish grace. Lavish grace is irresponsible, absolutely uncontrolled, just giving out of grace. Okay, grace verse 8, which he lavished upon us. But you see, in all wisdom and insight, he lavished grace upon us, but in all wisdom and insight. So he was not making a mistake here. He was not being irresponsible. He knows what he's investing in. That should make you and I feel incredibly both scared and special. That because I have come into Christ, now he's lavishing his grace upon me because that's how much he actually loves his son. He's lavishing that on his son because that's what a father does. A father lavishes inheritance on his son that's what a father does but who's the beneficiary because i am in christ i become the beneficiary of this little triad this god the father god the son god the holy spirit this love in the trinity this unity in the trinity 
This obedience and this, this working together where the son loves the father, the father loves the son, the son gives to the father anything he asks, the father protects and loves the son and provides the son and, and gives to the son anything he asks. The, father, the, the son obeys, the father glorifies the son for, for obeying. And you have come into this beautiful little dynamic, this, this, this cycle of love and favor and honor and joy simply because you are in Christ. You have been adopted as sons into Jesus. And the moment you got onto that cycle in Christ, you then become part of this dynamic between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit actively at work. That's why Paul keeps saying, blessed be the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God and God. The, the reason I, he's playing with that is because he's just in awe of all of this stuff that I have because I'm in Christ. Christ has it, but because I'm in Christ, I have what Christ has. Oh my, that we might, that our eyes might be open to that. That's Paul's prayer later. Oh, that my eyes would be open to that. That my eyes would be open to see what I am, who I am, how much I have in Christ, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Please note this, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose. Why should he tell you anything? You. Why should he tell you anything? Why should the God of heaven open his heart to you? Well, that's the lavish grace that he shows to his son. Because the Bible, the, Jesus says, the father tells me all things. And just like the father tells me, I tell you. If he's uh, John chapter uh, 14. So we come into that little special cycle, that little special relationship between God the father and God the son. And we become benefactors or uh, beneficiaries of, of that uh, lavish grace in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth underlined in Christ he set forth in Christ so this mystery that Ephesians unpacks is essentially this is what God is doing in Christ for Christ and by Christ and we become part of this but how do we get to know this how do we understand this to, uh, known to us uh, making known to us verse 9 the, the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, things in heaven and things on earth, things in heaven and things on earth, making known to us the mystery. God brings us to himself. God reveals his will to us through the revelation of the Lord Jesus. As you understand Christ, you understand more of what God the Father wants. As you understand Christ, you understand what you have in Jesus. As you understand Christ, you become more and more aware of how victorious you actually are, how much you've actually won, how much is actually yours, how special you actually are, how secure your future actually is. As you understand Jesus, which is why Paul wants the Ephesian church to know Christ, to know him. To know him in Philippines, to know him in Ephesians, to know him, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you should know him in, in, in Colossians, that you should know him and that you should be fully all in all in him. Why? Why? Because it's wrapped up. All the secrets are there. All the secrets are there in him, in him, in him. Verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Why? So that, box that in verse 12, box that. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So what does Christ give me? What does he give me? He gives me, he, he chooses me in him. He predestines me to adoption. He redeems me in Christ. He unites all things in Christ so that I can have it. He, he, he gives me an inheritance. Verse 11, in him, in him we have obtained an inheritance so that we become the first fruits. We, we get what he is asked for because we put our hope in him, because we put our praise in him. So he says, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Let me explain that, uh, dig a little deeper here. He doesn't want us to be, he doesn't just want us to praise him. 
He wants us to actually be the praise to him. He doesn't want us to just praise him. He wants us to actually be the praise to him. The reason why God has given us an inheritance, given us power, given us uh, redemption, given us lavished grace in, with, with all wisdom and insight is so that we would be the centerpiece, would be the display of the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's we? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. In him we have, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, verse 11, according to the counsel of his will. Why? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. God wants, God desires that we be the shining light that gives Jesus the praise. By what God has done in our lives. By how he has poured out grace in our lives. By how he has given us a standing in our lives. By how he has given us sainthood. By how he has given us uh, freedom. Maturity. The way when angels look at us. When God looks at us. We see the lavish generosity of God to Jesus in us. So that we will always be the testament of what Jesus has done as a love gift to the Father. Gonna repeat. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. God wants you and me to be lavished with grace in all wisdom and insight. To have an inheritance. To have redemption, to have joy, to have wisdom, to have a clear understanding of his will, to have his mind laid out for us, to have all the promises that are in him, yes and amen. So that we may be a testament, we might be the work, the handiwork of what was possible because Jesus obeyed the Father. We'd be a testament to the good, to the to the obedience and the humility and what we call the kenosis, the emptying. The humility of Christ. So we will be that for Christ because we were the first to hope in him. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Lord. Lastly, and most importantly, you were given the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of that inheritance until we acquire that possession. Isn't that beautiful? Until we acquire that possession, he is the guarantee to the praise of his glory. So God wanted to give all this to us. So Jesus did what he had to do. Jesus did what he had to do. So God was now able to give all of this to us. God gave all of this to us, the riches of his glorious grace, in Christ. So then as I placed my faith in Christ and I came into Christ, being in Christ, I had every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now I have everything that Christ has. And everything that is an inheritance to the Son is mine. And the Holy Spirit has been given to me to ensure as a seal of, 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 uh, of uh, a guarantee that everything that is mine will eventually be mine until I acquire possession of it. So God wanted it. Jesus made it happen, and what is yet to happen, the Holy Spirit ensures and keeps safe for you and me. So before the foundations of the earth, your name was talked in heaven as to who you would be to Jesus, in Jesus, for God. At the end of time, your name is being talked about as to how you will shine as a permanent eternal testimony Praise and glory of his Lord, of the, of the Savior. Permanent testament to what Jesus did in obedience and love for the Father. So for all time, Jesus takes center stage. And praise and glory and honor is given to the Son. The name above which every name and every knee shall bow. His glory is lifted up in all honor. When you and I understand that, how can he stop being our first love? That's Paul's issue. So he prays. He prays. Let's, let's look at his prayer as we begin to close our time together.
For this reason, because I have heard of your faith. See, that's what got you into Christ. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not stop, cease, I do not stop to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, let's just break that down because I want you to see the church, what the church is all about here in verse 15. For this reason, Paul says, because I've heard of your faith, write down personal devotion, write personal devotion. And your love toward all the saints. Write down public service. Public service. That's what the church is about. When God has taken Sunday out, God has shut down all the services. He's put, down, he's put off all the sound systems. All the curtains are drawn. Nobody's able to get to church. Nobody's able to go to church. Now we're going to be the church. What has life dwindled down to? What has our faith reduced to? It is reduced to these two things. Write it down. Personal devotion public service. Personal devotion, public service. Don't lose your first love and don't forget your first obligation. Don't lose your first love and don't forget your first obligation. Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. What is Paul, what are you giving thanks for? And next week I'll come back to this passage because there's so much there, but I want to just read through it real quick. What is Paul's prayer? What is his expectation of the saints? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, the, of glory, may give you. He may give you. So Almighty God is giving you. Look at the triangle. Almighty God is giving you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Okay, you two things. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation. That's how you're going to know Jesus. God Almighty, God the Father is giving you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in the knowledge of him, Jesus, that completes the triangle. God is giving you spirit and spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know Jesus, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he, Jesus, has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe according to the working of his great might? Three things. Let's go over it real quick. His prayer is that God the Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus. And that you would, knowing Jesus, know these three things that you have. The eyes of your heart will open to see these three things. Number one, the hope to which you have been called. The riches of his glorious inheritance that is in the saints. And the immeasurable greatness of his power, us word, toward us. The power that's available to us to live life, to get life done, to conquer life, to win over life. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. And I give the example of the, of the resurrection because that same work was, uh, power was used in the resurrection. When he raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power and dominion and above and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come what's so great about that well what kind of power does it take to take you above all your enemies above all kings above all authorities above all dominions above all powers above all principalities what power does it take to take you and make you higher and make your name higher than absolutely everything else that's a pretty strong power that has to be the power of the Almighty One. That power is available to you for every day. Living. Authority, power, dominion. Look at the word Jesus. used. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who is all in all. We have been ushered into the Trinity. We have been ushered into this beautiful relationship where Jesus did something for the Father before the foundations of the earth. And God said that whoever believes in Jesus, this is what is going to be dealt out to that person. Lavishly, whatever we give Jesus is going to be theirs. So as you and I come into Christ, this is something that Paul just hammers over and over in all the Pauline epistles. As you and I come into Christ, we become students, we become excavators, we become uh, scientists, we become explorers of the manifold wisdom and revelation 
and in insight and grace and riches of God that are in Christ Jesus. So you are brought into Christ and now you need to discover Christ, know Christ, love, love Christ and want everything that Christ has for you. Why would you not want that? Because you lost your first love. But the love that God had for Jesus, and the love that God had for you to put you in Christ is not enough. It's not stirring you enough to want to love Jesus back for God's sake. For God's sake, for, because, because God wants you to. I, I, that's, that's the bottom line. So as a church, why would a church become cold, lukewarm? Why would a church lose its first love? When as a church, our primary goal is not to explore Christ, to know Christ. You're saying, Pastor Jeremy, how does that happen? This is not the gospel truth. It's not a lie. It's my opinion as a pastor, as someone who reads the news, watches YouTube, watches worship and watches churches and is a student of church ministry, is a student of shepherding. When a church becomes about its members and stops, becoming a, stops being about Jesus, how does it do that? The focus is catering to members like a, like a clientele. Catering to members like as if we need them rather than they need us. When we are looking for members rather than members should be looking for the church. When we have to push people to follow Christ, love Christ, serve Christ, uh, honor Christ. When a member becomes the main thing and he is the one deciding the church, the value of the church, the, 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 the functioning of the church. When the functioning and the health of the church is at the mercy of the personal commitment of a member of a church. When everything that is done on the stage of a church service is not a presentation to Christ but it is a presentation to that blessed first row sitting in the church. Those arrogant, pompous people who have lived in one, one week of sin and have the arrogance to come and sit there before the table of the Lord and, 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 and break bread and, and take wine and, 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 and still keep the sin that's in their life. To not say the name of Jesus before their unbelieving friends. To trample on the blood of Christ. Members like that Cold, unassuming, uncommitted, calloused, compromised, highly compromised. When the church becomes about pandering to that clientele to get his two rupees into the offering bag. That's just one example of when a church has ceased to be to the praise of his glorious grace. Did I sound irritated? I'll give you an example. I don't know who you are and how many of you are listening. I'll just give you an example. Ever since the lockdown, this is just an example. Ever since the lockdown, the amount of work and preaching and teaching and everything that the team has been doing and the ministry team has been doing has doubled. And the offering and the giving of the church has halved. That's just one example. We are all more free than we've ever been before. But yet the hunger to be available for the gospel, to be available for the study of the word, is hardly present. And I could go on and on, but you'll say, why are you being so mean? And why are you being so uh, judgmental? And why are you being so... That's the problem. Our eyes are not on Jesus. Our eyes are on the lack and loss of love of the believers. So the question is, are we, efficient, are we the Ephesus church, the Ephesian church? Are we a church that has lost our first love? And that's the question we got to sharply look at ourselves and ask ourselves the question. And the problem is that the same people who are already committed, already giving, they are the ones who feel guilty and the ones who should feel guilty don't feel guilty. 
I have come to the conclusion, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters, I have come to the conclusion that, you know what? If you have to run after a believer, if you have to pander and cajole a believer, they are not a believer. Because someone who has the Holy Spirit will be victorious over sin and uh, over sin and come running back to Christ. Uh, someone who has the Holy Spirit will not need to have uh, be taught a hunger for the Word. See, when I was born, the first thing I did was cry for milk, and milk was given to me. It was part of my physical nature to feel hungry, and to I didn't know that milk existed. I was a baby. I was just born. I didn't know, but I cried for milk, and milk satisfied me. <clears throat> Somehow I knew that there was milk out there. There was food out there for what I needed. When you are born again and the Holy Spirit is given to you, you go after food like you're hungry for it. That's the sign that you are spiritually alive. Hunger is a sign that we are spiritually alive. And we should not have to go after people. God has brought about this entire change to bring to our understanding that we have been perhaps running after a people and setting up church and ministries in such a way that we are getting the wrong crowd. And I'm not talking about everybody. I'm just taking this time to seriously evaluate me, my ministry, my genuineness, my team, their genuineness, my church, our genuineness. Because as we look at it, Paul says, Paul says, we are to be to the praise of his glorious grace, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that's what I'm asking myself. What is God's purpose for the church? Are we fulfilling that? Are we being the church? No, no, no. In one evening of a little bit of one-way conversation, we're not going to figure this out. This has to become a super, uh, super imposing, um, mind-filling quest we need to give ourselves to this. We need to keep asking, Lord, am I truly bringing praise and glory to Jesus through my life? Because that's what you did all this for me. Am I exploring and I, every day am I finding new treasure in Christ that is mine? You see what I'm saying? I've talked a lot. It's been almost an hour. And many of you have been on and off and on again. But We need to think. And I want to be a, a church that just does Jesus proud. And I don't want to be listed in one of the churches that had a problem or forgot the first love or entertained heresies or, or had sin uh, divided. I don't want to be one of those. We want to be a church that, that is a joy, a joy like the Thessalonian church Paul talks about. Father in heaven, oh God, I pray that you would make our church that. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring new believers to our church that would bring new fresh blood, that we would know, oh God, how much you have loved us. Sometimes it's new babies that and their exuberance for life and joy and their, their, their unabandoned uh, uh, expression of love and life. The way they, they see life, the way the children see life, oh God, it's, it's a reminder of the joy that, that you have given to us. Lord, we need the new spiritual children in our midst. We need new believers. We need those who, who have just found Christ so that there's this excitement that comes into our community and we are re, re, reignited by the, by the newness of their, their love, oh God, for you. Lord, it's been a long time since we saw somebody raise their hands and cry out to God for, for mercy and receive from Jesus that beautiful uh, gift of salvation and mercy and grace. Lord, we want to see people healed. We want to see couples brought back together. Right now, there are some couples that are in my mind and in the minds of those who are thinking right now, who are listening to me. Right now, there are couples who are struggling with their marriage. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you would speak life, speak life into their home, into their marriage. Give them the wisdom of Jesus to be able to deal with the issues that are dividing them, separating them, straining their relationship. Lord, mend marriages. 
Lord, I pray for protection over the weak. Those who are mentally weak, oh God, protect their mind and heart. Those who are emotionally weak, protect them, oh God, from being abused and being misused and taken advantage of. Those who are physically weak, oh God, I pray that you would bring people into their life who would protect them. Right now, there are, there are nine thousands and thousands of homes which, which, are, which, are, oh, which are complaining of domestic abuse. Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy, O oh God. Have mercy, O oh God, on our city, on our nation. Thousands and thousands of people, Lord, are, are, are they can't leave their home and they are, they are subjected to domestic abuse. Many women, some men, many children, some don't, some girls are probably vulnerable to uncles and, and men in their, 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 I pray, oh God, a protection over them. Oh God, put a, put your, put a hedge of angels around those precious little daughters of the king. Protect the women, oh God. Lord, protect our wealth and our money and our savings. At a time when the economy is going down, protect our wealth. You gave it to us, Jesus. You gave us our wealth. You, every rupee that came, you gave us. Father God, would you protect that? Lord, I pray that you would remove fear, fear of uncertainty, fear of loss, fear of, of future, fear of, of instability of the future. Take out that fear and put faith because we are called. We are given the highest authority on the earth to trust in. Lord, how can we fear? Blessed are those who put their trust in him and he will not be, not let them be put to shame. For he who dwells under the shadow of the Almighty, no shame, no shame. Lord, I pray for people who are losing their jobs and I ask, oh God, that you would secure their jobs. Give great wisdom to our Prime Minister, to our Chief Ministers, to our Ministers of State, Lord, I pray that you would give them and our economists and those who are trying to work through this entire renewal and revival, Lord, protect our economy. Lord, protect our economy. Give them wisdom. Give the right person the right thing. Lord, it comes from you. You're the one who speaks wisdom and understanding. Give us a passion for the poor right now, Lord God. Give us an understanding of the many who don't have the comfort and we are grumbling about isolation and grumbling about being stuck at home. It's a comfortable home. We have everything we need. We are eating more than we should. We are comfortable. Lord God, tear our hearts open. Because I know that you've brought this upon us so that we may feel the heart of God. So that we may see the things that God sees. The broken lives that God sees. The hurting people that God sees, the dis inhumanity and the injustice that God sees. You have brought us to this point so that we may see that. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes. More than any time, this is the time for the church to be the church. Lord, would you show us, give us wisdom, understanding, strategy, connections, uh, methodology, guidance, instruction. How can we be an authentic church? Not happy clappy, sitting in a room, praising God that we are okay. Those days are over. The days to see some persecution, to see our faith challenged, to answer tough questions, and to bleed with those who are bleeding. Those days are coming. And only the genuine ones will remain. All the fakes will be removed. We know this day is coming. We are prepared for it, oh God. So we want to feed. That's why I'm feeding people with the word, Jesus. That's why I want, to, I want to feed them with the word. Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. I want to feed your people that they may be strong. That they may be strong. That they would be able to withstand the testing time. Withstand the, the loneliness. Withstand the sin. Porn has increased 300%. Lord God, protect our men from porn. Protect our women from pornography. Let their minds not be destroyed with this virus. Protect us, Lord. So, Father, I want to make our people strong. Bring more people online to listen to this. Not because I am saying it, but because it's your word. 
Bring more people online. Jesus, I beg you, strengthen your church right now. Because you didn't bring the coronavirus. The coronavirus just brings the worst out of us and the best out of us. And this is the sign of the last days and the call of the scriptures in the last days is that we should be faithful to the end. That we should not forget the word. So Lord, I want to teach and preach and I want to fill your people with the word so that they may be strong through these times of testing, of challenge, of loneliness. Holy and blameless. That's why you called us. That's why you make us. Jesus, Jesus, do your will in our life. God the Father, as you did your will in the Son's life, do your will in ours. Because if we are in the Son, the Son would never want anything less than the will of the Father. So how can we be in the Son and not be completely dedicated to the will of the Father? That would be a dishonor to Christ. But you have called us to be to the praise and the glory of Christ. So to his will and to his lordship, we bow. We bow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to thank you so much for being with me. And I will be back with you. Share this link with people whom you wish uh, to, to uh, benefit from this. And thank you so much for joining me this evening. I'm hoping that many will be strengthened and I will not spare any, I will not spare any way or method to, to kind of strengthen the, the people of God during this time. I love you and I'm praying for you. May the Lord be with you.